MLB Pipeline released their top 30 Pittsburgh Pirates podcast for 2023. And myself and Craig Toth are going to break it all down and bring up some things that you might not have thought about about this prospect list today on Locked on Pirates. You are Locked on Pirates, your daily Pittsburgh Pirates podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome back to that Pirates podcast, everybody. My name is Ethan Smith, host of the Locked On Pirates podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team, your Pittsburgh Pirates every day. And as I will have to start getting used to saying, on Thursdays, we have Craig (laughs) joining us here today on Thursday. Craig, how are you today? Especially with the fact that we get not one, but two televised Pirates games today. Yeah, I'm going to have to figure out how my picture-in-picture works or, you know, set up two TVs or something to to be able to – because, I mean, especially when you have, you know, Rowanzi going on on the other field uh, against Toronto, you definitely want to be watching both of those games. Yes, uh, Mitch Keller and I believe six opening day starters against the Yankees and then Rowanzi uh, starting things off against Toronto. Lots of stuff to watch today. And not too long ago, this is a great segue for this. Not too long ago, Ruanji Contreras was a prospect who has since graduated, obviously, after having a very solid 2022 opening full season. And MLB Pipeline released their top 30 prospects list for the Pittsburgh Pirates to begin the year, as they do every year. This is a staple on this podcast. It's a staple of prospect stuff when you're getting into the season it gives these uh, these people who make these lists plenty of time to figure things out before the season kicks off and we are going to start from the bottom down when we're doing this and I brought it up to Craig before uh, we started that this list we're going to go through the list first and then obviously we're going to give our thoughts on the guys and where they're placed and everything but there are a lot more takeaways from this list other than just numbers and where these guys are but with all of that said we're going to go nice picture and picture here so you probably see me and craig now in the bottom right corner which i'm going to see if i can move it to the left corner oh nope now craig is big just, see, look, just now huge I- craig <laughs> All right, now it's huge, Craig. Now it's probably going to be huge me. All right, there we go. So can't do that, but it might block some stuff in that bottom corner. But when you're looking at what we're working with in this bottom half, clearly most of the time with these prospect rankings, and again, I'm not the biggest guy on where the guys are, more of the fact that they're just in this list, period, or if they're in the top 10. I don't really care that much about the placements and stuff. But if you're looking at something as a prospect person, you look at this list and clearly can tell that most of these guys are in rookie ball and most of them are very young. You're looking at the likes of your Donnie De Los Santos, Shaylin Polanco, Jun Shik Shim. You're looking at um, Michael Kennedy, who was a draft pick from the Pittsburgh Pirates not too long ago. I believe it might have actually been last year. And then, of course, you have some of the guys like Kanan Smith and Jigba, Carmen Majinski, Hudson Head, Matt Frazier that we all know, Travis Swaggerty as well, who has taken kind of a nosedive in these rankings over the last couple of years. But just from this bottom 10, so 30 to 20, anything that flashes off the page for you in terms of guys that are here? 
I mean, it's it's kind of like what you would look to see from you know the the top you know thirty to twenty one, um, a mix of some older guys in like a Travis Travis Swaggerty who may not have arrived as soon as you know some of the people projected. Carmen Majinski, you know, suffering some injuries at times, not performing to the level of a you know a college arm. So, I mean, when you, when you get a guy that comes from a, a, a highly touted school, you you think that, you know, he may move up through the system a little bit quicker. So he's a guy that's still h- hanging on, not that he's, you know, performed poorly. I Another one like an Akanan Smith and Jigba, you know, made a brief appearance last year, but ended up, you know, breaking his wrist. So there's a chance that he kind of would have been off that list as well. Uh, the, the ones that, uh, I wouldn't say surprise me, but there, there's a few like a Jordani De Los Santos. I, I believe he was like pretty high whenever we first signed him, then kind of like dropped off the list and is, is coming back on the list. Uh, it's hard to, to see with those types of prospects that have, you know, a very little, professional experience you know whatsoever but it's what you would kind of see you see Matthew Frazier who was you know not on the list way up on the list and has kind of you know fallen back after a a rough 2022 season um nothing here that you know really sticks out to me too much I had a couple guys uh like a Colin Selby uh, I was wondering maybe if he would shoot up onto the the you know in this range here, a Po Yu Chen, Owen Kellington, um, and Axel Plaz. We saw getting some love. I believe it was from Baseball America coming in at thirty. But all guys that I'm you know in this range, especially like Yung Chuk Shim, uh, Chung Chi Chang, are guys that that I, I mean Chang is a guy that I like a lot. Um, but and with and with Michael Kennedy, I think he fell a couple. But that's also, I think it's like six spots, but it's because he actually hasn't pitched a professional inning yet. Yeah. And I think that's one thing to really take note of when you're looking at this list as well for anybody that does take a look at this list is going back to that number with the ages and everything. A lot of these guys are here, and this is my train of thought on this, Craig. A lot of these guys are here, one, because they are talented baseball players, but they also haven't done anything wrong yet to not warrant being here. So like Michael Kennedy, as Craig just mentioned, has literally never pitched a professional pitch yet. So that opens the door for him to either have a very good year this year and jump up on this board or have a bad year and jump down. So that's usually how a lot of these prospect rankings are made is, okay, we know this kid is talented. We know he has the talent to be a very good pitcher, we a very good position player, but For a lot of these guys that are super young, I wouldn't get too hung up on it yet. And Craig, I think you agree with me here. I don't think there's much to get hung up on with this bottom part of the list. So now we will scroll up to kind of the middle part here where we have 19 through 10. And this is where you're starting to see a lot more of that age difference in terms of what we just saw, where you guys saw the guys that were 18, 19 years old. Well, now... You're seeing the guys all in the 20s. The entire list from 20 to 10 is actually um, 
all above the age of 20. And the names are starting to get a little bit more familiar as well for those of you that don't look into prospects that much or don't have as much knowledge as, say, a Craig does or that I might. Some of these names are going to come way more familiar to you because there's a couple on here that could even make the roster at some point this year. You're looking at a guy like Jared Triolo, who has kind of been a guy that a lot of people really, really enjoy. Very good defensive uh, infielder listed as a third baseman. Of course, I always caution with prospects. Do not look at their position unless they are a pitcher or unless they are a catcher. That's like the only times that ever really matters or unless they're a prototypical first baseman or something like that. It is hardly ever the case that a guy where he starts his career is going to end in that spot unless they just play him there the entire time. So Jared Triolo, I mean, I think he has the ability to move to second if they need him to, uh, depending on how that goes. He could even just end up being a backup to Key Brian Hayes, which is perfectly fine. I think that's a perfectly fine spot for him. Then you look at a guy like Matt Gorski, who, I mean, Craig, I'm sure you probably heard this name about a million times last year. Uh, in terms of what the Pirates were doing in terms of prospects, because Matt Gorski, just to bring up his stats here for a second, had a phenomenal year, uh, 280, 358, 598, 956 OPS across all four teams, albeit he only played five games in Bradenton and one game in Indianapolis, where most of his time came in Greensboro and Altoona. But Matt Gorski was a climber. And I think this list definitely gave him that nod. Uh, you look at Malcolm Nunez, who's another guy, that was picked up in the Jose Quintana trade that's kind of on the cusp. I've called him the first baseman after um, Carlos Santana and G-Man Choi. I think that's going to fit him very well. Of course, Malcolm Nunez, a very big power bat. And then you have G1 Bay, who we're all expecting to possibly make the MLB roster at 13. And then, of course, more draft picks like Solomito, Jared Jones, Thomas Harrington, Lonnie White Jr., Hunter Barco. Um, which I believe, Craig, you wrote a story on Hunter Barco at Bucks Basement not too long ago, uh, and Dario Lopez, as well as Kyle Nicholas. So anybody, uh, any big takes from 2210? Any big takes from this group? Yeah, and I did write a story about uh, Hunter Barco for Inside the Bucks Basement. I was just kind of curious as to where he was at um, in his rehab process. He was, I believe he, if he would have come out of high school Try to think of what year it would have been. He was the top left-handed pitcher um, in the nation, uh, decided to go to Florida, and then ended up having to get Tommy John surgery after only a few starts last year. Pirates got him in the second round. Um, and he uh, is basically saying, you know, he's in his rehab process looking to probably start uh, playing some live games in June or July. So he's a, a very interesting guy. I, uh, the one that sticks out to me uh, here is is Jared Jones. Last year, Jared Jones at number 18. This year at number 11, uh, he had, uh, you know, he's he's been kind of accelerated through the system. Was a was a high school arm, possible two way player, uh, stuck to the mound, and basically, you know, pitched in Bradenton two years ago, pitched in Greensboro last year. Uh, I've talked with, you know, anybody I talk to, and and I think everybody is starting to get to know this by now, is that it's tough to just look at the numbers from Greensboro, especially on the pitching side. 
uh, just because you got to look at the home and away splits because the band box they play in down in Greensboro and, and on the hitter side as well. If a guy has, you know, 15 home runs in Greensboro and maybe two outside of Greensboro, you're starting to look at, okay, is he smoking these just over? Are those going to be doubles or is it these going to be pop-ups other places? Uh, but Jared Jones, you know, I see them showing Greensboro. Um, I've seen him placed in Altoona. I myself have him in in the starting rotation in Altoona this year. Uh, but getting that non-roster invite uh, from the Pirates was a little bit of a surprise. So, so Jared Jones, he's showing something to these guys. I mean, his fastball is electric. Uh, location and command is something he's kind of just working on. But, I mean, his – his floor at this point in time. And I, I know that, that you say this as well, Ethan, and I know that the Gary Morgan, who I write with it, uh, who's my partner over at inside the Bucks basement, who is, you know, the star of Gary Morgan Mondays. Uh, we always say, I mean, I will usually look at the floor of a player before I look at the ceiling and the floor of a, a Jared Jones is a, is a back of uh bullpen arm because of how electric his fastball can be. So him seeing, seeing him climb is awesome. Uh, Jared Triolo saw him play some, some first base already this spring. It's something they, you know, were saying that they would be getting into with him. Matt Gorski has shown the, uh, the, I mean, the willingness to to play some first base as well, because that first base, the future, um, there's nobody that's put the stranglehold on that just yet. I believe that Malcolm Nunez has the inside track. I saw him, you know, I saw some video of him up there playing some third base as well. Footwork is is really good and more athletic uh, than I expected him to be just based on a lot of the reports that we had read. Not a real big guy, kind of a husky guy. Uh, yeah. definitely built, uh, but c- could definitely, you know, t- play some, some first base and some DH and maybe even still some third base in the pinch, because that's the, the big thing with Ben Sherrington and company since they've come in is, is versatility. If, if someone is willing to play a different position, they will find a spot for them. Jared Triolo, you know, as a, as a gold glove, uh, minor league third baseman. And that's all of the minor leagues. That's not just the pirate system in, in 2021. Uh, Bill Mazeroski defender of the year within the system for the past two years. I mean, he could be a major league third, third baseman on his defense alone right now, but we also have another guy that, that is very good at defense um, at third base. So, I mean, he's shown the willingness to move over to second base to, to shortstop play some outfield, play some first base. And I, I like those kind of guys. I, I, I think back to, you know, a couple years ago in the Adam Frazier's who was willing to play anywhere and then became the everyday second baseman. I look back to like a Josh Harrison who went in throughout the minors, you know, played wherever you would ask him and then became, you know, a cog in the wheel uh, for that pirates team. I look at Jared Triolo and and kind of the same the same ilk, uh, poor you know from the same cloth, and that's not a, a bad thing to have from a player. And I mean, I've seen him in person, and I knew he was tall. And I'm not super short. I'm like probably like five nine, five ten. I always say I was five eleven on the back of my baseball and basketball card, but that was a lie. I uh, probably more like five nine, five ten. But I didn't realize the dude's like six three. Uh, he's a, he's a pretty tall guy and he has room to grow 
uh, into his body a little bit more. I think listed maybe around like 205, 210 right now. Dude, see that guy bulk out to like 230, and he does have some pop in his bet that hasn't shown just yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, you may be looking at a, you know, I'm just going to say safely 15 home run guy. If you get that from a utility player who's bouncing all around the field for right now, man, that's 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 pretty valuable for a team like the Pirates. Yeah, that gives me uh, comparisons. I know not to the power, but uh, Jake Cronenworth of the uh, San Diego Padres is very much like that. He's just always batted very well. He's always found somewhere to play in the field. Um, Whit Merrifield of Kansas City before he was traded to Toronto was a lot like that as well. In uh, Kansas City, he was also that kind of guy. He just was everywhere, but you just wanted to find ways to get his bat into the lineup. And me and Gary all last year and ever since he's come on the show have always jokingly said, if the bat plays, you're going to play somewhere. They're going to figure it out. I'd say the only places right now for these prospects to where they could say safely they will not be playing third base and shortstop for right now. Now, shortstop can change if Cruz struggles defensively, but even that might open, but I know third base is definitely out of the cards. And then Reynolds and, of course, the outfield are taking up spots there as well. But before we get into the top nine slash top ten, want to let everybody know about FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more at FanDuel.com slash locked on because the NBA season is winding down at this point, And Ethan, being a Clippers fan, is not very happy because this team just suddenly cannot seem to win a game. but. If you want to bet against the Clippers, have fun. You'll probably win some money. And now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets. When you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on, that's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more and make every moment more at FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA and the official sports betting partner of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. So we've talked about 30 through 10. So now we move into... Where I think this gets the most interesting is nine through one. And you can probably see already that a good portion of this team, for the prospects at least, if we're going to consider prospects a team, are at or are slated to be at the MLB level or are pretty damn close. Uh, Eddie Rodriguez, of course, being the prize here. Back-to-back MVPs at his respective minor league levels the last couple of years. Obviously, we know what ND is. Uh, they have him listed as a catcher, second baseman, and outfielder, which he's played all of those positions at the minor leagues before. I am also a heathen for switch hitters. So, ND Rodriguez is, like, my favorite guy in the world right now because we already have Brian Reynolds. Then you have Carlos Santana. You have Rodolfo Castro. And then you might insert ND Rodriguez into that lineup at some point. He'll have four switch hitters in the lineup, which everybody knows Ethan loves switch hitters. He will literally (laughs) mentally combust if that happens. Um, Then you have Henry Davis, who 
is jumped now by Indy. Henry Davis, of course, the number one overall pick from two years ago out of Louisville. And Davis, phenomenal player. He's dealt with some injuries since he's been drafted, but nevertheless, still a phenomenal player here. Three. Then you have Quinn Priester. Obviously, Quinn Priester has been the talk of the pitching prospects for quite some time now. He remains up here in this top 10 and top five. Then you have Gonzalez Piguero, Bubba Chandler really on this list. The only one outside of Termar Johnson who's ranked at number one, which comes to no surprise to me, are the only two here really that are not a possibility to make an impact this year. But you look at Mike Burrows, Luis Ortiz, Leo Piguero, Nick Gonzalez, Quinn Priester, Henry Davis, and Andy Rodriguez as guys that have real paths to making an impact on this team this year. So if you had to pick one guy you think that would have the biggest impact on the 2023 Pirates in terms of the MLB level, which of these players do you think would uh, make that biggest impact? I think it's going to be Luis Ortiz. I mean, everybody would probably jump to Andy Rodriguez um, easily. Um, but Luis Ortiz, I believe, is going to start um, in AAA. And I, I think that just kind of comes down to to a numbers game. Um, and you're going to see that a lot within the system. Um Guys that probably should be starting in AAA, starting in AA, just because of you know the number of positions that are filled already um, at the AAA level. The same, you know, with the major leagues. Um, it's with him. It's it's going to be guaranteed. Mitch Keller, Rolanzi, JT, and Rich Hill are going to be in the starting rotation at the beginning of the year, and that basically leaves. Velasquez, Ortiz, and Oviedo, which I, I know you've spoken to as well, Ethan, when I've listened to the podcast and watched it. Um, I mean, we kind of all know this. And to me, uh, Ortiz would just be the the odd man out because of, you know, developing that third pitch. They want to give anybody who has the ability to start an opportunity to start. And I don't see them moving uh, guys to the bullpen. Um, I feel like, you know, Rowanzi was moved to the bullpen kind of almost out of a necessity last year because of the injury he suffered the year before last. Yeah. Um, so you're going to limit his innings uh, to begin with and kind of build him back up. I mean, Ortiz, Oviedo, those guys are already, you know, being built up as starters. And I don't think they want to have those guys kind of go back and forth. I mean, you could even see Luis Ortiz at some point here just get the the Rwanzi treatment in the middle of the season. I would be prepared for that of possibly getting shut down for a couple of weeks because you you value his arm so much. Uh mm-hmm depending on what happens with, you know, other injuries without the, throughout the system. Uh, Mike Burrows, for as well as he performed and, you know, being added to the 40 man this past year, I still see him and Quinn Priester as like the, everybody thinks like more of an impact from them. I see them as the Luis Ortiz, Johan Oviedo cup of coffee guys this year. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people don't want to hear that and they just want everybody to be up as, as soon as possible. But I mean, even if you trade 
you know, Rich Hill at the deadline, Velasquez either traded or moved to the bullpen, depending on, you know, how he's performing. I mean, that opens up two spots and you would think that the first guys on the list there would be, you know, Ortiz and Oviedo. And I know other, they're not going to want to hear this either, but a lot of news has been coming out about a pitcher that we, I think we, we didn't actually get to see pitch yesterday, but got to hear about pitching yesterday is Caleb Smith a guy who can eat a lot of innings and he may uh, be someone who, you know, they said that he asked for the opportunity to be a starting pitcher because he had been a reliever for the past few years, I believe out in Arizona, wanted the opportunity to start again. So I, I, there's like so many innings that have to be pitched. You know, when you look at a season, there's a minimum number of innings that are going to have to be pitched. And some of that are going to be by guys that they're going to allow to eat those innings. And it's not going to be, you know, aggressive with, you know, the younger arms like a Burroughs, like an Ortiz, like a Quinn Priester who, you know, didn't get to pitch as many innings as he probably should have last year by starting off with his oblique injury and, mm-hmm. you know, missing the first about two months of the season. Um, Andy, we're going to see him at some point. I'm not at this point going to be able to predict how quickly that is going to happen. Most people are saying June, July because of the super two. Um, We'll have to see how it plays out. So, I, that's why I would just kind of have to say it's going to be Luis Ortiz uh, that's going to yeah. have the best opportunity to make a, an impression on the team this year. Well, and I also think Luis Ortiz has the easiest track to get on this team as well. I know a lot of people say Andy Rodriguez does with Austin Hedges manning the starting catching position, but we know already, as you mentioned, that Super 2 exists. And I think it's going to be a lot like what we saw from O'Neill Cruz last year. I believe O'Neill Cruz debuted at the end of May early June, I think last year, because they wanted to see adjustments, quote unquote, from him and stuff like that. I think that's what you'll see with Andy. You'll see him come up eventually around like that June, like pre, definitely pre-trade deadline, I think pre-All-Star break, but there's not really a way of telling when that's going to happen. But outside of him and outside of that fact, like you mentioned, Luis Ortiz is right now an odd man out of a rotation. That is a major step forward from what we have seen from this Pirates team the last couple of seasons. Because the last couple of years, Luis Ortiz would have been out there. He would have been like the third starter. Now he's a guy that is going to be placed in AAA just purely out of the fact that there's nowhere to put him at the MLB level yet. And going back to what you said about there's a minimum amount of innings that have to be pitched in a major league season um, by these teams... That might not sound like much until you hear the number to where I did it on my calculator real quick when you said (laughs) it, because I was like, okay, 162 times nine. That means that every single team in Major League Baseball has to dedicate at least 1,458 innings pitched a year. Make it worse, multiply that number by 30, that means that's 43,740 innings that all 30 teams have to dedicate to just pitching on a season. That is not counting 
the extra inning games. That is not counting the playoffs when you eventually get to that point. That is not counting spring training right now where you have, say, uh, 28 to 30 spring training games. You multiply that number, that number starts getting even larger. So, again, I also agree with you. Uh, a lot of people outside of the organization, especially here at uh, Locked On, has said, yeah, well, you guys have Quinn Priester and Mike Burrows. I said, don't be surprised if you don't see either of them really at all this year. I tell, I tell people that all the time, like just because they're the guys that are like the known names doesn't necessarily mean that they have spots here because for either of them to debut. So if you just take both of them as individuals for both of them to, for either of them to get to the major league level, that means Rich Hill is likely traded, which will probably happen. Velasquez, as you mentioned, is either traded or moved to the bullpen. Then you're jumping Caleb Smith, Johan Oviedo, and Luis Ortiz. So that means you're expecting Quinn Priester or Mike Burrow to jump three other pitchers. I just, I don't see it happening. Sometimes it's a great problem to have, though. Like, I mean, if you can't put them there, that just means you either, one, have a solid rotation that's giving you good innings, or two, you just don't have anywhere to put them. And I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah, and the big thing for me with, you know, a, a, a Quinn Priester, you know, Ben Sherrington has, has kind of shown the pattern of if a guy isn't on the 40-man, especially as a pitcher, to begin the season, that those I would kind of put towards your, you know, cup of coffee type of guys yeah. to be added to the 40 minutes at some point during the season. Um, a, a pitcher who, you know, is a, a swing man slash starter slash maybe bullpen arm and like a Cody Bolton um, who wasn't added. You may see him added before a Quinn Priester because of his age hmm. um, and his ability to pitch, you know, in multiple roles. Um, and I think that they're, thinking that the main importance is to just get these guys innings and, and Ben Sherrington has said, and here's the thing with, with Ben Sherrington, if Ben Sherrington says something and he actually comes out and says it, some of it's like most, like most of it, he he's being honest, especially when it comes to moves, when he yep. says he's going to do something, when he says he wants to do something, he usually, you know, ends up doing it. And the big thing that he's always come out and said is that to him, triple A is not much different from the major leagues. So if they're getting, you know, Mike Burroughs, Quinn Priester, uh, Luis Ortiz, possibly Johan Oviedo, and all these other guys innings down in triple A, they're not seeing it, you know, much different from the guys that are coming out and doing it um, at the major leagues. And, if you got a guy that acts, you know, that, you know, gets bumped down to Altoona to start the season, he's also shown that he will make that move from a guy from Altoona straight up to the major leagues. So, okay. I mean, once you hit Altoona, I'm kind of all bets are off. And if you're on the 40 man, it makes it a little bit easier because if you notice, like, I mean, not to, but a Jack Swinski getting called up and then a Cal Mitchell getting called up next, he called up Jack Swinski first because he's on the 40 man. Then they made the room and, and, and called a Cal Mitchell up. So the same thing would possibly happen here is, you know, maybe Priester and Burroughs are kind of like even, 
I feel like they would look at, you know, Burroughs, who's already on the 40 man, wouldn't have to make, you know, a 40 man move and would just, you know, have to option somebody before they would, you know, make that Quinn Priester move. So it's, and as we all know, you know, Ben Sherrington doesn't like to, uh, doesn't like to throw those, those 40 man roster spots around lightly uh, and, and jokingly aside, because he keeps that 40 man full even during the off season, when some teams go down to like 34 to 36 men until he has another move lined up, he keeps that 40 man full. Oh, so yeah. he, he does not want to mess around with that. So, I mean, everybody's who's looking for Quinn and Burroughs and everybody to be contributors this year. I, I just kind of cool that a little bit. And the other part about Andy, I mean, is that hedges we're banking on hedges I think at some point getting traded and then Andy being the starter or somebody else getting DFA'd and then Hedges becoming the backup. Mm-hmm. Um I'm wondering if if Hedges doesn't get traded, if if he's the backup for Andy again next year, I kind of look at like I would kind of still even want to bridge that gap more because I in articles I write on my podcast, anybody that I talk to, Andy Rodriguez has 210 innings behind the plate above high A ball. Mm-hmm. That for a catcher doesn't usually get streamlined, you know, that quickly up to the major leagues. Yes, he can play some other positions, but if you can't guarantee that Henry Davis is going to stay healthy, I think you're going to keep Endy at the catching position as long as possible until you have an answer on both of them. Yeah. And I agree. And I think Endy out of this whole group is probably the most interesting to look at. As we mentioned, Ortiz is probably the guy to, look at the most as far as impact goes, but I think Andy Rodriguez is definitely the guy that you're like, okay, where is he going to end up playing? But one last thing that I wanted to say before we wrap up today as well, taking a look at just this entire list and the guys that could possibly debut, I mean, this whole list by mid-season could look completely different depending on what happens to this Pittsburgh Pirates team, because you're talking about a guy like Endy who could graduate. Henry Davis, probably not. Quinn Priester, maybe. Um, Gonzalez, Peguero, maybe. But then Luis Ortiz will probably graduate. Mike Burrows, there's a likelihood that he could as well. G1 Bay probably will. You're talking about a guy like Malcolm Nunez, who definitely can. Matt Gorski, Jared Triolo, Travis Swaggerty, Kanan Smith, and Jigba. I mean, this team has plenty of guys that have a real shot to graduate at some point. So just talking about that as well is a big thing to keep your eyes on. But, Craig, what do you have going on as far as maybe prospects go or anything going on on your pods this week? Well, um, over at Inside the Bucks Basement, I I don't know when this will be out, but Thursday afternoon at three, I am uh, I'm dropping an article on Andy Rodriguez and his path to the major leagues uh, with some direct direct insight um, from Jordan Comandia, the uh, the catching coach, bullpen uh, catcher for the Pirates, as to you know what he what Andy's been working on, uh, different stuff like that. 
Uh, I have uh, Anthony Murphy from uh, Pirates Prospects uh, on my Minor League News and Brews podcast. Uh, and uh, just the regular Bucks in the Basement podcast that's out there. So uh, here's the time to just, I mean, follow as many podcasts as you can, listen to as many podcasts as you can. And for me, is read I read everything that comes out, even from sites I don't like. I read everything. So uh, it, it's just getting a, a lot of that knowledge and a lot of the insight and starting to look for like little names that are mentioned um, here and there as to, you know, like we said, like a Caleb Smith, not a lot of people knew about him, but a lot of people started mentioning him. So I started paying more attention mm-hmm. uh, to that, especially the, the beat writers uh, for the Pirates who are doing an amazing job down in Bradenton. Oh, yeah, of course. And over here, we'll be back tomorrow. I uh, have no idea what the topic will be, but maybe I'll talk about Keller and Contreras and how they do today. We'll see. Those both, I believe, start at 105 and 107, respectively. So basically the same time. But, you know, got to be technical in terms of what they give us. But, Craig, thank you for coming on here on Craig Toth Thursdays. Guys, thank you for always tuning into the Locked on Pirates podcast, as you always do. You can follow me on Twitter at MVP underscore Ethan or at Locked on Pirates. Make sure you follow Craig over at Bucks Basement. And I will see you guys tomorrow.